What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia movement that inspires call 800-334-KIA for details always drive safely sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only quantities are limited must take delivery by 7824 i'm tamika d mallory and it's your boy my son the general and we are your host of tmi and catch us every wednesday on the black effect network breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Creature Feature, the show where we dive right into the brains of humans and animals and get neurons all over us. Aw, gross. Today, we're talking about teamwork. There is no I in teamwork, but there is a me and an Ewok? We're going to be looking at some wild animal teams, how they compare to humans, and what the robot-dominated future may hold. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old riddle. What animal doesn't feel pain and loves eating poop? Is the answer man? No. No, it's not. So... This may be considered blasphemy, but my favorite part of the Star Wars original trilogy is when those Ewoks engage in guerrilla warfare tactics to defeat the Empire. Was it a brazen attempt by George Lucas to make the movie more marketable towards children? Yes. But was it a cool example of some weird dog-faced monkey-like aliens working together towards a common purpose? Yes, it was, and I love how individually each Ewok looked like a snubbed-faced little moron, but together they somehow figured out to defeat the galaxy's most menacing army. Of course, this is fiction, the fevered brainchild of a franchise-hungry George Lucas, but are there real examples of adorable animals banding together to save the galaxy? As a matter of fact, there are, and they're often more inventive and more lovable than those little shag-carpeting aliens. So today on the show, I'm joined by comedian, writer, and actor Blake Wexler. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this. Yeah, what's your opinion on Ewoks? No wrong answers. Uh, Thank God, (laughs) because I was already second-guessing myself. Um, I've always loved them. Like, I don't think they're skilled fighters. I think they were in over their heads. But, uh, I mean, I saw Star Wars when I was a kid, and I thought they were so cute. Yeah. Yeah, they were little teddy bears. Yeah, I I think they're sort of like the everyman alien where, you know, they don't, they aren't very smart. They aren't very agile. Their faces are small and weird, but together they made those weird log things that just crushed people in between it. Right. It's pretty great. I love that. That, I love that so much. 
And their slingshots. Yeah. Yeah, they were fantastic. Like a Rube Goldberg device that just like brought a huge spike down on some kind of guy. And... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it, is, it is funny. I've never thought of them as aliens. Mm-hmm. I've just thought of them as smart bears. Right. Um, but they would technically be aliens. That, yeah, they're al- bear, alien bears. Bear, barelians. <laughs> barelians. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, speaking of relating this topic to movies uh oh, that was a great segue that was phenomenal <laughs> I, I all the air just exited my lungs yeah and that, a gasp a gasp yeah. of, of such an excellent segue remember the matrix hey guys it's 2019 remember the matrix it's all i think about <laughs> um if you think about it in that movie the humans are like the domesticated animals of the robots because yeah you know we're producing energy for them and they're exploiting our bodies um, and so in the movie, uh, you kind of have the decision to happily live in ignorance uh, unless you are offered a choice by Morpheus to live in reality or like keep living in your happy robot world. Um, what would you personally choose in this situation? Um, I would. Well, my reality isn't that great. So I guess whatever. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, am I? But uh, yeah, I would love I don't know, just anything. I'm OK with being like completely oblivious and ignorant yes. to what's going on around me um, or continuing that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm cool with that one. Yeah. I'm just I'm just not sure what the benefits are to reestablishing human society. If like we've uh, <laughs> right. already kind of screwed it up and then. You know, the robots are at least, like they're treating us much better than humans treat livestock. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're enjoying our lives, presumably. So I, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably be, I'd probably decide to stay in the matrix because honestly, uh, <laughs> have you seen it outside? <laughs> it's it's Bad. terrifying. The sky's so all scary. dark. But dogs are sort of like Morpheus and Neo, and they decide to break outside of the matrix. The human matrix that see this this uh, metaphor is not strained at all. I'm sure that there are uh, humans who own two dogs and yeah. their names are Morpheus and Dina. Oh, and that'd Neo, be funny for sure. Yeah, or do you like the red kibble or the blue kibble? <laughs> 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 or would you like to lick my butt? Okay, it's the butt licking. Yes, I, I figured. It's that one. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I've just shown you uh, some viral videos of stray dogs or uh, rescue dogs freeing other dogs. Viral in that they will give your computer a virus because they were on weird websites. They were on like news websites (laughs) which just instantly infect your computer with Ebola uh, and it's uh, but yeah these videos are pretty pretty cool uh, because one of them shows a stray dog freeing a a dog tied to a fence uh, and then once it unties it, it drags it by the leash. Right, right. Like, you're my pet now. <laughs> we thought this was a selfless act. You were just uh, ascertaining a, a servant, a servant right, from right. a post. Who's yeah. the human now? Stocks and bonds, stocks and bonds. <laughs> Toilet paper. I am a human. Look at my pet dog. <laughs> um, and then there was another video of a dog freeing. Uh, he, he was in a shelter and he freed like everyone else in the kennel. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just romped around, had a good time, urinated all over the floor. It was great. Yeah, they really quickly, because in in that moment, you think that there's some sort of enlightened dog that is smarter than all the other dogs, yeah. and uh, it's, it's a selfless act. And then it, they just immediately remind you that they're dogs, yeah. and they start playing around and barking at one right. another. It's and like, peeing on the floor, yeah. Yeah, you were so close. Yeah, <laughs> although I did, I love that, that peeing on one of the doors, because that's like, 
That's such a great rebel move of this is what I think of your stupid door. It's my door now. Yeah. Um, so after watching these, I, I had to kind of ask the question, like, are these dogs actually trying to rescue each other? Or are they just being dogs and not really thinking about it? Um, are they displaying empathy? Uh, are they trying to work as a team? You know, what? what's their motivation? Because we can often anthropomorphize animals inappropriately where we mm -hmm. think they're being, you know, it, it appears that they're empathizing with each other and they want to free each other. But uh, is this true? Uh, do we have to fear a dog uprising? Uh, so um, to answer this, there's a few questions we have to get through. One is like, can dogs actually recognize other dogs? Which sounds obvious, but it's not when you think about the diversity of dog breeds and how some of them look like little chipmunks and other ones look like bears. So, um, And the next question is, do dogs display empathy towards each other? Uh, and then the final question is, can they actually work together to solve problems? So uh, there's research that's actually answered all of these questions. Um, so <laughs> there's this Scientific American article that's titled, Do Dogs Know Other Dogs Are Dogs? <laughs> uh, I feel real smart reading these uh, <laughs> scientific uh, articles. Well, it seems accessible. Yes. Right yes. off the bat. Um, so uh, it's uh, it, it, like I said, it is an actually important question. So researchers in France trained dogs uh, that they'd be rewarded when approaching a dog's image. So you boop noses with a picture of a dog and you get a reward um, <laughs> as opposed to another animal like a cow or something. Um, and then they, once the dogs kind of got these rules right, then they trained them to, uh, uh, or they, they trained them to approach the dog image always. And then they started uh, showing them pictures of lots of different breeds of dogs, like Shih Tzus and uh, Golden Retrievers and Chihuahuas, and then a, a bunch of different animals like gerbils and cows and cats and mm -hmm. people and children and whatever. Um, and uh, all the dogs passed the test. Uh, they were able to correctly identify the pictures of dogs, which is kind of incredible because when you think about it, some dogs kind of look like gerbils. Yeah, a chihuahua and a gerbil are completely They're indiscernible. They're actually exactly the same. Literally the same animal. Right. I had a couple of guinea pigs. Right. And, you know, taking them around on walks and people come on like, oh, can I pet your dog? Yeah. Yeah, right. right. There was, your, there was... small, your small sausage-like dog. <laughs> there was also that story. Uh, you hear these stories every once in a while where, um, oh, this family was raising a dog and it was a bear. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. even humans can't figure out. <laughs> What's a dog and what is a, a massive mammal beast? <laughs> I thought it was a child, but it was just a, it was a shaved bear. <laughs> yeah, it was a shaved bear the whole time. <laughs> a um, ravenous child. <laughs> <laughs> kept, kept trying to get honey. It was real weird. It was crazy. Uh, <laughs> his, fr his friend was a tiger and a huh, pig. Yeah. <laughs> Baby pig. Piglet and kangaroo. And mm -hmm. it turns out I, I was just on LSD at the zoo. But anyway. The whole time. I'm a terrible mother. And <laughs> I apologize. Um, so the next question is, do dogs display empathy towards other dogs? Uh, and so there was a study that they uh, had a few dogs just hanging out, chilling, and then the researchers played sounds of the dogs issuing distress whines, um, like before the dogs saw the other dogs. So just like a video recording of a dog crying, which is kind of a horrifying experiment if oh, you God. try to put imagine you're abducted by aliens and then they just start the playing the sounds of someone sobbing uncontrollably 
<laughs> I'm picturing it. Yeah. You're <laughs> um, uh, and then they would uh, open the door and allow the dogs to reunite. And then the dogs who heard the distress whines were much offered a lot more comfort to the dogs, so a lot more licking and jumping uh-huh. and general dogginess towards their dog friends. And they also showed a preference towards empathy with dogs that they were familiar with. So if they had met the dog before, uh, they were more likely to respond to the distress whines and then respond with more licking and empathy. So cute. It's very cute. Um, And then the final question is, uh, can dogs work together and solve problems and synergize and team build? Crimes, solve crimes. Oh, I wish. I I I have a television show for you. Oh, (laughs) boy. It's called Scooby-Doo. Okay. Yeah, and he has a little buddy. Uh, The titular Scooby has a little buddy named Scrappy. They might be related. This sounds great so far. It's fantastic. And they solve crimes with uh, children. Now, they both talk in perfect English, right? It is uh, the King's English. And it is um, perfect. There's one of them might be a drug addict. I see. Yeah, yeah. I see. uh, But but it's legal now, but I believe at the time. (laughs) It wasn't. So, yeah. And the other one is, I don't know if it's younger. Like, he's more adult somehow, kind I of see. pretentious. I uh, see. The small one is, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> one thing I never understood with Scrappy and Scooby was, like, Scrappy. What are you talking? That's not, no, oh, no, no, go ahead. Boy. Sorry, sorry. Oh, the, boy. The, the bit, bit doesn't work bit when I do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, what were you going to say? One thing about uh, Scrappy oh, yeah, and Scooby? Yeah, Scrappy is, like, he talks in perfect English, whereas Scooby talks in kind of dog English. Yeah. So how did that happen? And Scrappy walks on... His hind legs and Scooby walks mm-hmm. like a normal dog. Did did Scooby did Scooby screw like Velma? What did did they? Is it, <laughs> right, right. Did Scooby like have a human dog hybrid? Oh, I like is that. that what take. Scrappy is interesting. I was gonna say one got a better education than the other, but I like your take. You like much the bestiality more. take more. It's I always go to that. Yeah, if if, right. if presented with two choices, right. one better education choice a. or the the disgusting thing that I'm proposing. It's um, the latter. Yeah, definitely. Well, because it's walking on its hind legs like a hominid. Um, it actually has <laughs> uh, sort of the shoulder and pelvis pelvic bone structure of a hominid more mm-hmm. um and uh it's irascibly annoying so the only right. like it's got to be some kind of mutant dog and then they just i guess they call it his nephew to kind of obfuscate the fact that <laughs> it's this horrifying yeah. abomination of of human and dog dna that was never supposed to work out in the gestational phase yes 100 percent. that was well, i was so I forgot that I was a part of this podcast. I was just <laughs> listening to you right there, but that was fantastic. Uh, TV. Uh, this is my new pitch. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's like a gritty reboot of Scooby Doo. <laughs> it's amazing. To be played on the WB. Where else? Uh, <laughs> so, um, so yes, dogs can work together. As mm-hmm. the qu- original question, um, and uh, there was a study that dogs had to trick a human in order to get through a fence to get a treat. So the human, had, there were like two doors and like one sliding door. And so the human could only cover one door at once. Um, so the dogs uh, would uh, would diversify. So if they were in a team, they very quickly figured out that if one was at one door and the other was at one door, the human couldn't keep them both out. And mm-hmm. then they, would re- they were able to get past the fence and to the food reward. I love um, that. 
And which the humans just keeps getting drunk. God damn it! You know, it's just over and over again. Got, the dog got out again. I'm sorry, guys. I'm gonna lose my goddamn job. <laughs> these dogs keep tricking me. These just just the sort of uh, like the Marx Brothers and their victim kind of situation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they. Uh, I have a story about the. I guess the last two questions, two yeah. or three. Like, can they? Um, uh, are they empathetic to other dogs? And then uh, can they work together? Where uh, I was at my girlfriend's family place, and we have a dog who's a rescue named Ollie, Aww. and then he's so cute. And then my uh, sister's brother—I almost called my my sister's. By the way, I didn't even get that right. My <laughs> girlfriend's brother. I almost okay. said my sister's boyfriend, which would have been a totally okay. different person. So my girlfriend. So your brother, sister's boyfriend's girlfriend's brother. Brother. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. So whatever uh, slip that was going on right. in my head, I'm not going to acknowledge. Your it. sister is your girlfriend. Let's not add labels. <laughs> I don't label my family, okay? Uh, so my uh, real girlfriend and her brother. Uh, her brother has Your a dog. real girlfriend. My real human okay, girlfriend. Okay. Uh, human girlfriend. All right. Um, she, Checks out. Yeah, thank you. It really sounds, uh, yeah, normal the way I'm normal. saying that. This is normal, yeah. So we have a dog named Ollie, and then my girlfriend's brother has a dog named Albert, and he's a rescue too. And there was another dog there who was this like prissy Bichon Frise that was okay. wearing a diaper around <laughs> and had been like freshly groomed. And was this an elderly dog or just like I it, think incontinent? It was incontinent. It wasn't old. It wasn't like oh, I feel bad for this dog. It's right. I believe that dog felt that those lesser than him should clean up his shit. I see. So on this the floor. dog never deigned poop in any designated area. No, absolutely not. It's a, it's not his problem. No, you know, it's the people around. Right, him. right, right. So the two dog, like he was in a diaper, and like you know, it was clearly an embarrassing looking thing. And then the two uh, middle class dogs kept peeing on him. Over and over again as just a sign of just horrific disrespect. So, wow. yeah, they were working together to put that dog in its place and uh, they had no empathy for it. Hey, <laughs> hey, diaper boy, come over here. Yeah, I'll show you. You're our diaper now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him wearing the vestments of humans. I'm going to pee on his head. It's literally the one thing we have <laughs> is we all have to wear a diaper or pee in a specific spot. It's, I love this idea of dog society cruelly looking down upon any dog who betrays dog kind like mm-hmm. like bone cruncher you have forsaken your own kind and worn the trappings of humanity right, right. feel our wrath in the form of a golden shower of punishment <laughs> <laughs> this bougie bijon freeze <laughs> oh no I, I long for the confines of my own home. I was just groomed. I'll have you know. It's in my eyes. <laughs> so, um, actually, uh, and this is not just a behavior of domesticated dogs, uh, spotted hyenas, which are actually uh, more closely related to felines, uh, but they're an exa- the reason they're so dog-like is an example of convergent evolution. So their morphology and their pack structure is very similar to dogs. Um, but, you know, as I said, they are not. They're actually more more closely related to Simba than they are to, you know, hmm. Airbud. Their front legs are longer than their hind legs, correct? Or Hyenas? their back legs? Or, yeah. Yeah, I think I so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's my favorite I mean, animal. Yeah, they're 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 uh, and they're very uh they're big muscles, extremely very, strong very jaws. Yeah. yeah, and their head shapes are just like when you see their head shapes compared to uh, a dog, it's so clear that they're a different species of animal because their heads are just so 
swole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> they got these buff-ass heads, these right, hyenas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, do, they don't They do skip head day. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like, where <laughs> do you work at, hyena? At the library. And I also murder things <laughs> every day. <laughs> um, so they're, they're, they live in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and they, they have these, like we kind of talked about briefly on the show before, they have these uh, matriarchal societies, uh, hierarchies, and they work together um and uh when presented with a puzzle where two hyenas have to simultaneously tug on ropes to get this platform to drop for food to fall down uh they learned it so quickly without any training uh and they were way better at it than chimpanzees who were oh, also wow. given the same task and the chimpanzees really needed a lot of hand holding so the the researchers had to train them how to do this and the hyenas just were real quick studies yeah um, so that's so interesting because uh, chimpanzees are are cousins you know they are social socially very intelligent animals but uh, hyenas were still better at specifically this kind of problem solving task uh, which is so so interesting that's not to say hyenas are overall more intelligent than mm-hmm. chimpanzees they're just uh you know they're better team players. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if chimpanzees, because they are so related to us, are more inherently selfish and less likely to work together. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is it is interesting because I think that, um, I mean, humans really rely on social structure uh, and they do really rely on um, kind of these social strategies. But on the other hand, they're also, we have a solitary streak where we can work independently. And I think that's actually a big strength where each unit of the group is quite intelligent and solitary but then you can see where like that can cause conflict where we mm-hmm. are trying to figure something out on our own whereas if you're an animal who's uh sort of like it, it's second nature to you and you uh your pack structure is such that you uh need to very quickly make these decisions as you're hunting then it makes sense that they kind of immediately figure it out whereas the chimpanzees are probably like goofing around sticking, yeah. sticking their rope up their buttholes right. or whatever <laughs> just overthinking it like yeah all right if we do this at this angle i tie the rope to my genitals yeah so what that's my thing <laughs> um i've been sort of in a lion king kind of uh bender here because uh mm-hmm. uh i don't know it's i'm so frustrated with the movie's total inaccuracies that uh, I yeah. feel the need to correct the record. Um, St- well, starting with the talking. Yeah, I um, don't think animals are that talkative. Right, uh, right. Also, I mean, they they would all be speaking different languages, duh. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? that's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, it, it is... Uh, so, so I think what's interesting is the meerkat in the movies is uh, solitary, which is very unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, meerkats have a very complex society, and it's actually kind of interesting. There was like a, what was it, Lion King one and a half, where Pumbaa and, and uh, Timon got their own backstories, and t- they were like e- exiled from the group. Yes, yes. And that's actually almost accurate, that meerkats can be exiled. So uh, uh, meerkats live in South Africa. Um, they are also matriarchal. Um, there's one dominant female who reserves the breeding rights. Um, and dominance rights are not actually nepotistic, so it's not like a, a sort of monarchy type thing. Uh, there's this constant struggle for dominance um, where the most aggressive females went out in terms of becoming queen. 
Uh, sort of like high school, am I That's right? That's right. Thank you. <laughs> exactly like high school. <laughs> um, and so uh, there are benefits to the society. They live. Uh, they live in a very predator dense area. So like. Um, by raising their pups together and having sentinels, you know, the classic meerkat little pose where they're oh, like yeah. looking around, being all cute. Um, <laughs> that actually really helps the colony survive. Um, and they, it's also, you know, it takes a village of meerkats to raise a meerkat pup. <laughs> That's the they, saying. Yes, that is the saying uh, because they all raise the pups together. Um, but And this seems like a beautiful, happy, well-oiled commune. Uh, but when you peel back the layers of meerkat propaganda, you actually find uh, these are uh, actually uh, very rife with conflict. and They're uh, slumlords, too. That are the <laughs> apartments that they live in, the conditions are shit. That, that's true. Yeah. That is true. I mean, like, the roof keeps leaking. There's no, the HOA is out of control. Yes. Uh, just like, you know, they're like, oh, you can't, you can't just have dung in your backyard. And it's like, what? Come on. I know. Um, I know I'm renting, but I have some rights. Right, right. The right to collect a bunch of dung in my backyard. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so females are constantly vying for the dominant role of breeder, as you can imagine, because the way natural selection works, you want your genes to pass down. Um, otherwise, you're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the fact that they're, it makes sense that they're all vying for that dominant role because that selfishness gene of like, of like, I want to be dominant. No, I want to be dominant. That's going to get passed down. Uh, so even though there's only a, a few of the females that end up actually getting to breed, that that gene of wanting to be dominant and struggling to be dominant uh, is very successful. Hmm. Um, so uh, this is a weird question. If, sure. So the the dominant queen, and that's I know that's not <laughs> the right phrase, but it's a sick the dominatrix. Name. The dominatrix of the the compound. Um, is the are the pups from that dominant queen yes. more likely to be a dominant queen themselves? Not necessarily. Okay. Like I said, it's uh it's not really nepotistic. Right, um, right. It's uh they are more likely to uh survive because dominant queens uh will kill off any um any offspring that are sort of unauthorized. Oh. Um and also sometimes the subordinate females will sneakily start killing off the offspring when they get the chance. Um, so there's, mm. there are, there's, a, there's like su- subterfuge and uh, yeah. backstabbing and a lot, like that. There's a reason that there is this whole, I think, an <laughs> Animal Planet reality show called Meerkat Manor where they're just right. fall, basically like desperate housewives uh, except meerkats. Um, <laughs> there's all sorts of on, like soap opera esque intrigue and like backstabbing. And there was one where, uh, one of the subordinate females had an affair with one of the males, and then the dominant female chased her out of the colony and exiled her. And then she uh, tried to come back in the colony and really was like literally kissing the feet of the dominant female oh my to God, get no lit spoilers. Back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> this is amazing. And it's just like Maria Porque. This <laughs> <laughs> telenovela mm-hmm. uh, based in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. Where most of them are. Yes. Yeah. Uh, South Africa, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, and so uh, they'll even excommunicate females that haven't done anything wrong, but they just suspect that they may be competition. Like, mm, you're looking pretty uh, 
uh, fertile, you're, you're getting tossed out. Um, but she has to be careful because she needs enough females around to take care of her pups and keep the colony safe with enough sentinels. Uh, so it's sort of this, um, you know, this calculation of how many females do I chase off to protect my position as the yeah. dominant female and how many do I keep around to raise my pups? Right. I killed too many of my guards and now I'm vulnerable. Exactly. Uh, I mean, she typically doesn't kill. They, they usually just like chase them off. And mm -hmm. sometimes the females that get excommunicated will actually go on to establish their own colonies. Ooh, I like um, that. It's hard, though. It's difficult. You got to be really charismatic. Yeah, you got to start from the ground <laughs> right, up. Right, right. Um, what are the men doing at this point? So usually there's a, just a... Shitting in their houses. <laughs> <laughs> so usually just a... Um, I, I like that you did What About the Men with the Meerkats... Gotcha. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. I got you good. Gotcha. No, it's all right. It's a that's a perfectly reasonable question. Um Thank no, but you. but uh the the males uh do uh like they they just a few of them are dominant, so they will also be vying for for uh the ability to mate with the dominant female. Mm -hmm. Um and then they are in a very similar situation as the females where they constantly vying to be the uh, get up the ranks. Um, and uh, if they when they're subordinate, they just help out with the colony and they will uh, act as sentinels. Just um, like humans. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. Subordinate. Yeah. Unfortunately. Capitalism. Am I right? Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. How much time do you have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, this isn't Chapo Trap House, so. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so uh, I want to talk about naked mole rats because they're one of my favorite animals. Yeah. Uh, they are really interesting as we segue from meerkats to uh, uh, these more eusocial uh, colonies. Um, so naked mole rats, if you've ever seen one, they look like. John Lovitz. Yes. If he was caught in a fire. <laughs> if John Lovitz and a fire had a baby that was a scrotum. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. would be that would be the thing. So when John Lovitz and a fire have a baby that's right, a scrotum. Right. That, or like yeah. or like, you know, Mitch McConnell's neck. Oh God. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. But it has eyes and teeth that are on the outside of its lips. <laughs> the artist formerly known right. as the silhouette of Mitch McConnell's Adam's apple right. is but in color, <laughs> in, in uh, vanilla color. Right. And they, they actually, even though they do have eyes, they, they're completely blind. Um, Interesting. And uh, they uh, live in underground, huge underground networks of tunnels. Um, and they're very similar to bee and ant colonies in that they have one breeding female queen who is disgustingly enlarged uh, when she's pregnant. Uh, I thought you were just this. This podcast is so ripe with details and so intelligent. I thought you were just gonna be like, and one queen who's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that was just gonna be the end. Of I it. mean, uh, so I've got a few pictures By here all to, means. to show you. Here's one, uh, and you can see her. Oh my god! I don't even know what I'm looking at. It's a it's a naked mole rat queen enlarged with pregnant, just like multiple uh, babies. Oh my and she's God. like many times the size of like a regular mole rat. Here's another one who's so pregnant looks like a giant butt. That's true. Um, if only that's how it worked. If you right. had twins, they just 
be watched. In I know this streets. one. This one looks like it looks like she has this like huge, just perfect ass, but it mm-hmm. really is just her sides teeming with babies. Don't blow up her spot. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, the uh, the there. Here's a few quick mole rat facts. Welcome to Mole Rat Facts Corner. They don't <laughs> sponsored by Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> Researchers believe that they don't feel pain. They can survive almost twenty minutes without oxygen, and they're almost immune to cancer. Oh, sounds like my ex-wife. Oh, what? <laughs> All three of Wait, those things: what? immune to pain, <laughs> can hold her breath, and she's immune to any sort of cancer. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It seems to work for her. Um, I so- wish her well. doesn't sound like she needs luck Mm, no Um, no she doesn't or me so i mean just it's so i love mother nature's sense of humor that like one of the most uh amazingly resilient animals looks like a nutsack uh with teeth (laughs) right which is Um, like the least resilient (laughs) the most vulnerable of of things (laughs) in the universe you are you are unbreakable and i am mr glass <laughs> Just a mole rat and a ball sack meeting, and it's like Will, uh, what's his name, Bruce Willis uh, meeting. Yeah. Uh, his name? Oh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, in that in that movie, Unbreakable. God, who knew that you would be able to connect those two things, <laughs> those four things, I guess technically. Yes, well, five things. Right? Five, yeah, because yeah. the ball sack is yeah two, two things, right. one unit, two, yeah, right. Math. Anyways, um, ball sack math. Welcome to ball sack math Welcome corner. Welcome to ball sack math sponsored, corner. Sponsored by LaCroix. <laughs> um, so division of labor among, uh, there are these like casts of um, naked mole rats, these different uh, kind of ranks. So there's the one breeding female queen, and then typically up to three breeding males. Uh, the non-breeders... Uh, do work building tunnels, taking care of the pups, foraging for f- food with their huge outside teeth. And I can't uh, emphasize this em- enough, like their teeth are outside of their lips. It's very good looking. Um, they will clean poop out of the non-designated toilet areas. Uh, and they do. They actually have little toilet areas and they'll go in, do their duty. And it's not it's not just they, it's not that they find poop gross because they'll roll around in it and we'll talk yeah. about more poop things later. Excellent. Um, but That's they a do, tease. Yes, uh, <laughs> a poop tease. Um, <laughs> so they'll fend off intruders and uh, so there's some evidence that um, there are dominant structures within the ranks of workers. Uh, so uh, when they are passing through each by each other in tunnels, if the tunnel is narrow enough, the subordinates will pass under the dominant naked mole rats is one of the theories. Um, Mm. And so there's some research uh, that uh, kind of suggests that there are three main categories of workers. There's the busy workers, the pup caretakers, and then the large lazy workers, the homers, (laughs) if you will. Um, So, uh, and what's interesting is this research kind of, I think the initial research kind of overlooked the fact that the larger, lazier workers actually took a more active role in defending the colony. So even though they didn't do as much of the grunt work, they did a lot more of the soldier work. So mm-hmm. they would they would uh, fend off predators or invaders. Um, would they use your, uh, their teeth for that? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, they're they're fun outside teeth. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I've never heard the term outside teeth before, and it's, yeah. it's perfect. Uh, and I, I 
I don't think this is how it works, but if I saw an angry nutsack just running towards me, gnashing its teeth, I, I wouldn't that I would be done. Yeah, no, that's a that's a one eighty turnaround situation. Yeah, that's yeah. a that that's a no. That's a no situation. That's a hard no. That's a hard pass. To a soft sack. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so female workers are functionally sterile. Um, so their sex hormones are suppressed uh, likely by dominance behavior by the queen. So the queen, mm. her, one of her behaviors is just shoving, <laughs> literally Let's shoving workers Let's get this out. What do you got? What around. do you got for us? <laughs> shoving workers around. Shoving, shoving them around um, <laughs> with her giant writhing mass of pregnancy. <laughs> um, and so, but they are, but. All of the females do have the potential to become breeding queens. So when the queen dies, uh, one of the females will take her place, um, and usually just by being the most dominant, most uh, ready, to, ready, most boss bay around. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's interesting that they have to overcome the fact that they have been so docile for so long. Where right. it's, I wonder what triggers that. Where like if just the death triggers that. To... I think because there's no more, they aren't getting bullied as much, so a new bully arises. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, sometimes they will actually escape from the colony and they'll break off to start their own colony, um, and that helps. Uh, also, that's suggested to help prevent genetic bottleneck. Mm. Um, and then finally, let's talk about poop eating because I, I know this is was your save the be your best favorite, for last. The best for last. So they eat poop to communicate and for their health. So <sighs> the little pups will beg for poop by chirping and scratching at the workers' butts, just like scratching at their anuses until they're like, "Fine, here's some poop. Give me your shit." <laughs> <laughs> so the reason that the babies like to eat the poop is that their gut flora is not developed yet. So by eating the fecal matter, they actually help develop the helpful bacteria in their guts that will help them digest the tubers and all the harsh uh, mm -hmm. kind of roughage that they have to eat. Um, but they're not the only ones who eat poop. Uh, the rest of the workers will eat their poop for nutrition. And there is some developing research that suggests that the queen's poop contains hormones that may control the behavior of her subordinates. Oh, my so, God. She gets just more and more devious <laughs> as we go on. Uh, so researchers fed workers the queen's poop, and they became more responsive to the cries of pups. So the idea is that the, the queen's poop is so rich with these these hormones that when the females eat the poop then they're like they're like oh kind of overwhelmed with this caretaker hormone so they're literally <laughs> mind controlling them with shit amazing the queen's poop sounds like it's being like beta tested at like you know the the west hollywood <laughs> right. whole foods right now <laughs> right with uh with dame judy dench yes of course <laughs> <laughs> um um would you care for a sample of the queen's poop oh, i mean if it's free yeah I, I'll, I'll have a sample <laughs> it's like a black mirror episode Right? Yeah, it is. Like, like, oh, but good. The, the queen's poop signifies propaganda, and when you eat the poop, that signifies you eating the propaganda. I follow. I think I follow. I think I follow yeah, this episode. Yeah. I, I follow the metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I I also like the idea that I think it's so evolved that they do have uh, designated poop areas, mm -hmm. and the fact that they know that is so impressive. And right. then off that, the fact that they will still poop in the non-designated areas is still very human as well where it's just like what the fuck oh, do we have on. to do there's a whole place they they taste in like dennis yeah. is this your poop it's De it is dennis and he does it every goddamn week <laughs> just shit in the designated room man 
That being said, it's They're delicious. They're like, this is disgusting. Then they pick it up with their mouths and move it to the poop area and maybe eat some of the poop, too. Just a little bit on the way. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, well, I guess I'll snack on it as I carry it to the toilet. <laughs> if you make me. <laughs> it's like you wanted to do it. <laughs> That's, uh, that. well, you know, the wonders of nature. Yeah. Naked mole rats present an obvious puzzle in terms of natural selection, but altruism in general can be just as perplexing. Altruism is a tricky topic in evolutionary biology. After all, when you think of survival of the fittest, competition and selfishness seem like clear winners. So if a selfish cheater prospers, his genes will be passed on. But all sorts of creatures, from humans to other mammals, insects to plants, have developed cooperative, seemingly altruistic strategies. Figuring out how this works from an evolutionary standpoint has been a fascinating and contentious challenge for biologists. One of the more controversial topics in evolutionary biology is that of kin selection and group selection. Kin selection is an evolutionary strategy in which an individual will try to optimize the reproductive success of their relatives. The simplified idea is you share your genes with your relatives, so if you help them succeed, even if it risks costing your own success, they'll pass on genes similar to your own, which will in turn spawn more of your altruistic genes in the future. There's even a mathematical formula called Hamilton's Rule that demonstrates how your own genes can increase in frequency when you help your relative reproduce. So the formula goes like this, as long as your relatedness to your relative multiplied by how much you're helping them reproduce is greater than the cost to your own reproduction, then that strategy should help your genes replicate, otherwise known as the wingman cockblock paradox. Though kin selection is often used to explain altruistic behavior in animals and even humans, there's another more controversial theory, group selection. The idea of group selection is that natural selection also acts upon groups. This theory has been refined into something called the multi-level selection theory, aka the Russian nesting doll theory, aka a bunch of old evolutionary biologists yelling at each other theory. The idea is that natural selection puts evolutionary pressure upon organisms on multiple levels. First upon the genes, this is the innermost layer of the nesting doll, then the cells, then the entire organism, then the outermost layer is the group. Critics of this theory, of whom there are many, argue that group selection doesn't work in the natural world, which would favor cheaters over cooperators on an individual level, and that pro-social behavior requires direct selective pressure, for instance, when meerkats literally exile those who break the rules. So phew, there you go. There's an overly <laughs> simplified rundown of one of the biggest debates in evolutionary biology. And I'm afraid I'm a bit too spineless to come up with my own position on this quarrel. Speaking of spineless, when we get back from a quick break, we're going to look at some animals who may lack a spine, but who have hearts of gold or mandibles of gold. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry, I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. 
Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. talk about bees, ants, and termites, and all of those hive minds. How does natural selection work when there's only one queen who reproduces? Why do members of a colony happily serve their queen when they could be out there getting laid and laying eggs? Bees, ants, and other hive insects are eusocial. Eusociality describes a society that cooperates for the good of the entire brood, rather than the good of the individual. Typically, there is a single breeding queen and different jobs and castes within the society. The whole eusocial society may depend on their unique reproduction strategy. Social ants, bees, and termites are haploid diploid. This means that the females are born from fertilized eggs, having DNA from the mother and father, whereas males are born from unfertilized eggs, having only maternal DNA. This means that sister worker ants who share a father in a colony are actually 75% related to each other. There's a mathematical equation that explains it. As you may know, I'm not very strong on math, but essentially they all share 100% of their father's DNA and 25% of their mother's DNA. So they're more related to their sisters than potential offspring, who would only share 50% of their DNA with their mother. This lends itself to the theory that their eusocial behavior is kin selection at work, an evolutionary sisterhood. Of course, ants, bees, and termites are more complex than this more simplified picture, with sneaky workers sometimes laying eggs and queens mating with multiple fathers, but at its core, that possibility for 75% relatedness to sisters represents the evolutionary pathway towards eusociality. So that was a lot of words. Do you have any questions? No, I understood it all uh, completely. So ants are more related to their sisters than they would their own kids? Yes. Okay, so crazy. 
Yeah, yeah, because of that that haploid diploid thing. Yeah, 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 where the males just are basically they receive a certain amount of DNA from their mothers, mm-hmm. no paternal DNA. Fathers are 100% related to their daughters whereas daughters are 50% related to their fathers. And male bees and ants and termites can have grandsons but they don't have fathers. Right, right. This is like uh you know, in school when they would be teaching you, you know, like these pointless fucking math problems that mm-hmm. were just like, if this, then this, right, but right. this, if, but however this. Right. And it's just like, this is the dumbest thing. No one would ever try to confuse you like right. this. But that's literally a yeah. real life application of one of those math problems. Yeah, that's what happened. Like when I took a, a class in college on yeah. this and they ma- gave us this problem set, it felt like one of those ridiculous made up problems. It's like, no, this is real. <laughs> this is uh yeah. Real and I have to use math and it it was I, I found it difficult. <laughs> I can't imagine. We, um, we had very different educations in college. <laughs> um, There's a lot more pretending, I think, <laughs> at Emerson College. Uh, but it, so it's really interesting. So these uh, these social we can learn a lot, I think, from from uh, ants, bees, and other of these eusocial colonies because of how uh, they have been evolution has shaped them into the perfect society of mm-hmm. of cooperation. Uh, and so there's the question, how do bees cope with a zombie apocalypse? And can we learn from them? <laughs> oh, interesting. Because it is their own kin rising up? Like, is that... Because they have... Actually, how do any of these... Because all these <laughs> things have so many relatives. You know, like, where for us, it's like, God, that would be fucked up if you saw your mom coming at you, you know, like, as right. a zombie. But they have so many family members and sisters <laughs> it's like god i had to kill also, 100 of my sisters but today. also if you only lived with your sisters wouldn't you just fantasize about killing them? yes yes um i mean i think it's also because they're <laughs> that was very, that was very funny. <laughs> they're so relatively selfless compared to human society right um so there's a very real example of this. There's a parasite called the scuttlefly, which sounds really cute, but it's not. No. Um, they infect- I think the word parasite yeah. suggested that it wasn't yeah. that cute. <laughs> um, oh, and there's a there's a cool... So uh, if you've ever wondered what the difference is between parasite, like parasitic, and parasitoid, mm-hmm. parasitoid means that it will, in one, in one stage of its life cycle, kill its host, hmm. whereas parasitic, it may or may not kill its host. Oh. Um. So the uh, scuttlefly will infect bees with their maggots, uh, and uh, honeybees infected with the parasite will abandon their colonies and fly off aimlessly, zombie-like into the night, just like just <laughs> flying around in circles, not really doing, just you know, the zombie shuffle. Uh, yeah, like yeah, the aimless yeah. zombie shuffle, but a bee. But with yeah, but in the air. Right, right. Or you know, like they can sometimes crawl on the ground too and just like bonk into things. You know, the zombie shuffle, but a bee. Yeah, because you're pregnant with uh, another thing's worms. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh, the, oh my god. Also, get it, zombie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Did you just high five yourself under uh, the table? Yeah. I think I just saw that. I mean, I've sprouted more hands just to give myself more hi- high fives. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why else would you do it? Right. Uh, so this 
the question is, is this an altruistic self-sacrifice? Like, are bees wandering off to protect the rest of the colony? Uh, which mm. is the case often with uh, ants infected with um, fungus. Um, or is this the parasite mind-controlling the bees? Uh, so researchers at San Francisco State University are equipping these bees with electronic trackers to discover more about their behavior and to see, uh, they want to both see, like, like, do these bees only wander out at night, which would indicate that maybe they're being mind-controlled because they're traveling out during the day. Mm. And they also want to track to see if any of this zombification is a factor in colony collapse because this is happening to bees and it's scary and mysterious. Yeah. Because we need bees to live. Oh, God. Um, as if we're not doing enough. Right. You know, to destroy their race. Right. I do love that humans are now teaming up with bees to try to save the bees. Like, we're putting trackers on bees and, like, right. trying to help solve their zombie apocalypse. I, I I would really hope that bees would do the same for us. Yeah, yeah. I think it might be too little too late, though. If they, I don't know if uh, bees are vindictive. That's true. That Whether they, they're just, like... Uh, they're they're clasping their little hands together like revenge. <laughs> so, would um, uh, so would this scuttlefly? Is that what you called it? That's right. Would it want the bee if it is doing mind control? Would it want the bee to fly away from the hive because that gives their babies like a better uh, chance of survival? Like would yeah, these little maggots not survive as well in a hive? Well, it, it, that's kind of the question. Is right. like potentially right because the hive will attack intruders. So once mm-hmm. that maggot hatches, there's no guarantee that those bees aren't just going to kill the maggot. Right. Uh, it could also be dispersal, like allowing the maggots to to have some amount of dispersal. Uh, but what's creepy about this is like they don't really know that much about it yet so they're, yeah. they're that's that's why they're ter- making these robot zombie bees god what if these what if the hive if they sense something was a little off like with that bee mm-hmm. like it had a fever or something they killed that bee yeah that'd be I interesting i don't know like i, I don't i i'm not sure if they actually like kill the sick it. i think that um kill the sick yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but I, I do think that the potential theory that they actually self-isolate is mm-hmm. uh has been shown like that that um and f- there is a lot of self-sacrifice in these colony situations um which is you know kind of a uh like if in a human apocalypse like if people would selflessly be like oh i think i'm infected i better go to that quarantine right we'd probably be a lot better off but we know humans wouldn't do that no no absolutely not whenever i'm sick i just say i have allergies right right like your jaws falling off you're like i'm fine uh, don't worry about it i just got surgery summer cold <laughs> I, I got my wisdom teeth out you're you're 49 <laughs> i'm a late bloomer they just came in <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in other news about what humans are doing for bees lately, Papa John's made a tiny pizza for bees. Oh, that's good. It's a marketing campaign. That's weird because uh, bees are half black and mm. the guy who owns that place is a racist. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he get kicked out, though? He did. He did finally after years of fighting it for some reason. I see. So, so they're okay with the uh, striations on bees now. Yeah, yeah. Now that he, now that that racist piece of shit is gone, they they can now make uh right. make pizza for bees. Make peace with bees. Here's a fun tip: mm-hmm. bees hate racists. Good. Prove me wrong. I wouldn't dare. Right. I want you to be right too much to <laughs> prove you wrong. <laughs> um. So. This is great. Just like they made this tiny pizza. And I think halfway through making this pizza, they realized bees don't 
want to eat pizza.、Hmm. So they put some flowers and stuff on top of the pizza. Oh, there you go. It's po- pollinating <laughs> a, tiny, a pizza and a tiny pizza box. In no way <laughs> is this actually helping bees. This pizza, <laughs> right?、Um, right. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess、uh, this is a marketing stunt for Papa John's and also to quote draw attention to the plight of pollinators,、um, because they're saying. Without bees, we don't have tomatoes. So we should we should care about bees because without bees, there is no pizza. <laughs> I don't I don't understand marketing clearly. Neither I, do they apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, hey, tiny pizzas for bees can't really find any fault in that. No, no, no. That's as innocent as it gets, I guess. That's right. <laughs> um, so, uh. Other more helpful humans are looking into how ant colony behavior actually evolved、uh, by making ants a bunch of tiny pizzas and pulling them on their opinions. <laughs> yeah.、Um, <laughs> so, like, come come to our、uh, come to our focus group. There's free pizza,、um, and they flock to it. They fall、mm-hmm. for it just like we do. Uh huh. Oh, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention they called these pizzas pizzas. Son of a bitch. <sighs> <laughs> Anyways, back to science. Researchers are studying clonal raider ants,、uh, which are ants that are native to mainland Asia.、Uh, this species has no queens; they are anarchists.、Um, they reproduced by cloning themselves,、uh, laying unfertilized eggs of their exact DNA. So all the ants are workers.、Um, the researchers think that because they have this structure, they're the link between solitary ants of the past. Um, who maybe were pre、uh, the the ancestors before ants started forming colonies and the hierarchical colonies of today,、um, where that has the queens and the social structure.、Um, so in order to、uh, find out what these clonal raider ants do, they painted them in fun colors to track their habits. So they're super colorful little ants.、Um, Imagine stumbling across that and not knowing an experiment was going on. Just like, what the fuck is? Oh, LSD! I'm on LSD. <laughs> what the hell are these colors? All these colors of ants. I kind of want to do that, just like with ants that get in the home, because then it's like, hey, it's ants, but they they look colorful and yeah. fun. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal anymore. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs>、uh, so the. They actually found that even in groups of six,、uh, these ants started to delegate tasks and form teams,、um, and they would like have a division of labor. Like you go out and forage, you do this,、hmm. and like start managing our our little burrowing area.、Um, and the fact that it, it, the fact of the matter is that like the larger the ant society, the better and more stable they were.、Hmm. Uh, I don't know why I was. Being so argumentative, they're like, like, <laughs> God damn it! The bigger the ant society, the better. Right, right, yeah. It's like, okay, geez, no one's arguing against you. It's fine.、Yeah. I think that's just like a very. I think it's because it's part of my core philosophy. Like, if we all work together and we include everyone and are inclusive, like, we're gonna have a better society. <laughs> Not these siloed ant societies. <laughs> the very specific interests. <laughs>、uh, special interests. Well done. <laughs> thank well you. Well done. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so the fact that they are able to 
easily form these social groups and that the bigger the group, the better, shows the evolutionary pressures on ants to form these big societies uh, and perhaps showing how a eusocial society, which seems kind of counterintuitive, could actually form uh, and be in the ants' best interest. Mm. Um, and uh, ants really are, there's a few cool examples of how they're really the masters of teamwork. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll self-organize to form bridges to allow other ants to pass gaps. Um, they'll form boats and rafts when faced with water, just kind of self-organizing. Um, and then they also will, this is the grossest but most fun example, they will work together in pairs to get honeydew from aphids. So aphids will eat plant matter, turn it into this sugary substance called honeydew that the ants will want to eat. And they'll actually farm aphids and develop this kind of symbiotic relationship with aphids, where it's, it's kind of unclear whether the aphids are actually benefiting from it, but they're, they, they're basically domesticating the aphids. Right. Um, but in order to milk an aphid, it requires two ants. If, they're, if the ants are small, um, like if it's a big enough ant, the ant, the ant can just reach around and do all sorts of things. But yeah. uh, <laughs> Well, there will be a YouTube tutorial of uh, us milking an aphid after this. What, what's up, Antube? Uh, I got, uh, listen, I'm sorry I haven't posted in a while. It's been real it's busy. It's been a real rough one. Real, real rough one. Queen's been real pitchy. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> just a five-minute preamble. Yeah. Um, oh, so you just squeeze it. All right, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so in these pairs of ants that are milking the aphids, uh, one ant will stimulate the dorsal glands while the other ant collects the sugar from the aphid's butthole. Ah, uh, that's the better job. Really puts the ass into assistance. <laughs> uh, but that's uh, that's great. Where it's like, now you you tickle his tickle him while I get his dorsal. What did you call it? A the dor his dorsal glands. Yes, yes. You tickle his glands, and I'm gonna suck the sugar out of his bee hole. <laughs> Done. It's like, oh, you, you always, always get <laughs> <laughs> you always get to suck the sugar out of his bee hole. I'm good at it. You're a great tickler. You're a great oh, thank you. dorsal gland tickler. Aww. Maybe the best. Oh, thank you. Hey, wait a minute. You're getting all the butt sugar. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I think everyone's familiar with the idea that bees and ants and termites are social uh, insects. But did you know spiders can actually be quite social and oh, form God. huge communities? Giant Big, large, vast. That's terrible news. <laughs> That's horrific news. So they're not always solitary hunters. There are social spiders, which uh, live all over the world. There are a variety of species that do the same behavior. Um, and they're just all called social spiders, which I love. It's like, it makes me think of like a social media influencer spider, like, <laughs> like hey, fam, it's me, Marissa, eight, eight legs. Uh, <laughs> It, it doesn't have like applicable life skills, but it's <laughs> it's still good on <laughs> whatever that is. The, I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a dead cicada unwrapping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so social spiders, like I said, they live all over the world. Uh, they prefer tropical and temperate climates. They even live in eastern U.S. Hmm. Um, they will work together to weave communal webs that can sometimes be as large as football fields. Uh, they will completely coat trees and man-made structures. And let me actually show you. Yeah, please. I've never heard of social spiders. I have been called a social butterfly before. Mm. 
by many people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I would prefer to be called a social spider because more legs for hugging. Yes, yes. <laughs> so here's a picture of some of their webs. Oh wow! As you can see, they're quite extensive. Um, That's crazy. They can cover he- just entire fields. Uh, they can cover groves of trees. Uh, here you can see they've completely covered this coastline. Um, it's it's such a large web. Your your mind wouldn't identify that as a spider web. Right, it like, looks that like, looks like a spider web, but that can't be a spider web. It looks like some kind of weird fog rolling in until you step in it and you right. feel a bunch and you of disappear. tiny spiders Ugh. crawling all over Hugging you. Hugging your legs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the reason they do this is... Uh, they're relatively small spiders, so by working together, uh, they put together a better offense and defense. Um, so defensively speaking, like when a spider web gets knocked into by a larger animal than what they're trying to prey upon and it gets destroyed, that ru- completely ruins their day. They have to mm-hmm. rebuild the whole thing. It's really dangerous for them too. You know, they can get they can get injured or like, you know, it, so uh, by having by sort of creating this social network of webs, uh, sort of like an an interweb. Ah. <laughs> um, they uh, even if one individual's work is destroyed, like they can uh, use other webs and vice versa. Yeah. It's kind of and fix the old one right, while they're using right. the new ones. It's kind of like some. It's like social welfare, you guys. It's yeah. Like, it's like it's like healthcare, except it actually works. Yeah, and it Boom. exists. <laughs> Roasted. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so uh, they also uh, work together to take larger prey. So these are, like I said, these are relatively small spiders. Um, like not something you would be like. It's one of the spiders that even people with arachnophobia are like, okay, yeah, it's just like one of those little ones. Right. Um. But they can actually take down birds and bats. Oh wow! Uh, because their webs are so extensive, and so many of them work on it, they're they're thick, and so the birds and bats can get trapped in these webs, kind of like Frodo when he's an idiot and he runs Ugh. into the shelob lair, and he's just like running around and jiggling and get more caught. Yeah. Um, and then uh, once it's trapped, like it's just swarmed by thousands of spiders. What a fucking way to go! Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's the it's the like th- there's no it's not it's never been shown that they can prey on anything larger. But I just wonder what would happen if you like fell asleep, if you if you f- mm-hmm. found yourself in a social spider web and then right. you just fell took a nap. What what that nap would feel like? Horrific. <laughs> would you rather be eaten by all those uh, little spiders hmm. or one big she lob? Hmm. They lob. One- Sorry, they lob. Uh, I think I think one big shelob because Mm -hmm. I think the venom uh, from that would be would knock me out yeah and be quicker right she would be uh, able to and I say she just because I associate spider hunters with the larger typically the larger spiders are female so interesting shelob's pretty big I mean yeah um, she's swole Swole as hell. Yeah. Um, Real real, real thorax. Real spiders have curves. Yes. (laughs) Real spiders have thoraxes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, she, so yeah, so like it'd be real quick, kind of like one, two, get paralyzed, get all my juices sucked out, done. With like thousands of tiny spiders, I feel like they'd be a lot less adept. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, they'd be clumsily like yeah, biting without yeah. purpose. Yeah, I, I don't think I would like that. No. Yeah. That's... And they'd be so eager to because they're not used to something right. as big as we are. Right. Uh, they'd just be and just like playing around on your insides, like, "Hey, look at what I found! It's yeah. a spleen." Oh, I know. It's like act like you've been there before. God damn it! Using spider. my lungs as a bounce castle. No, I'm not into it. <laughs> just coughing up <laughs> thousands of spiders. <laughs> wait, that's not normal. Huh? Oh my god, is that what happens? So wait, what is the term? How many spiders do you eat while you're asleep? I is mean, it ten million? Uh, I, a I night? think I think that's actually kind of like that whole thing is a urban legend that you oh, like I hate inhale. It. Yeah. I don't think you you actually spiders, um, especially spiders that you'll find in your home, don't generally want anything to do with you. They no. they don't want to they don't want to approach you, especially if you're like kind of breathing in your if you breathe when you sleep and you move around like a normal person. I don't think spiders want want to mess with you no or go in your mouth that's right. the last like if you eat that many spiders i've actually never thought about this before then what is what are the stats on all the other things that you're consuming because a spider right. doesn't want to go anything like anywhere near you like what else are you sucking up right i mean you know you're more you're more likely to be like sucking up uh your own like eyelash mites while you're sleeping oh yeah um which yeah. you have you have mites on your eyelash right now get used to it yeah right right <laughs> they're tiny tiny they look like spiders they're very tiny they live in your eyelashes right now and it's a good thing because they eat the dead skin around your eyelashes and keep them from getting super gross yeah so stop blinking like an idiot right and enjoy it just enjoy the soft kisses of tiny tiny mites all up in your eyelashes all up near those things that you see with <laughs> So, hey, I know what you're going to ask. What can we learn from ants when it comes to human society? Well, researchers at the University of Pennsylvania are painting ants fabulous colors, not so they can go to Coachella, but to learn more about ant society and in turn to understand human society. Painting the ants different vibrant hues with colorful dots allow researchers to follow the routine of individual ants to see how work is divided among the colony. The UPenn researchers also say that ants, who have over a hundred million years experience living in a society much longer than humans, can teach us about how to cope with societal issues such as preventing the spread of disease. In fact, there's a whole body of research devoted to using ants as a model for helping improve human society, such as seeing how leafcutter ants deal with waste management, how they manage teamwork, how ants manage crops. That's right, fungus-growing ants maintain crops of fungus. Or comparing human financial market patterns to how ants decide between food sources. We can even study human pedestrian crowd movement dynamics by comparing it to ant crowd movement. So, even though humans are a great deal more intelligent than individual ants, as a crowd, we really aren't that different. Maybe that explains that weird thing that happens to me at picnics where people start crawling all over my sandwich. When we come back, we'll be talking about how different species can work together and whether robots, animals, and humans can just all get along. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, dad. Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? 
He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which is morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dogs are man's best friend, but in the future, will it be Robot who is man's best friend? Huh? Really makes you think, doesn't it? Well, okay, no amount of AI can ever replace the dog-shaped crevice in my heart, but heck, let's give it a shot. Human and animal teamwork is being used to shape models for human and robot teamwork. That's right, if we do this machine learning correctly, maybe we'll have an AI that's not evil but wants belly rubs and chews on its own back door. A paper published in the Journal of Human-Robot Interaction argued for using domesticated animals as a model to predict human and robot interaction. They even drew comparisons between helper animals and currently existing robots. They compared a mule to one of those Boston Dynamics big dog robots, an elephant to an industrial car robot, a service dog to a robotic arm that can assist wheelchair users. And if this sounds like a cold and uncuddly future, don't worry, they've got you covered. Our Emotional needs can be met by furry cute seal androids and friendly humanoid robots. The authors of the paper don't argue that we'll ever completely replace animals with robots, but that robots are, well, not really that smart yet, and certainly not at the level of AI where we can consider them as human replacements. So we'll need to learn to communicate with the AI like we would communicate with, say, a dog. Sit. Stay. Don't destroy all humans. So, what's your opinions on robots? Oh, mine. Um, I, 
I'm not one of the people where I'm like, oh, uh, by the way, I like that I just uh, was surprised that you asked me. I'm the only person <laughs> in the room. Um, what? I, my I, opinion? I, who? My, my, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I thought you meant the small man <laughs> behind me who's been breathing on my neck. Um, I think... So I'm not one of the people who are like, oh, I think they're going to kill us all. Mm-hmm. I think I'll be long dead uh, for not those reasons, for like, you know, being an old person reasons by then. But um, I really loved having a Furby as a kid. Oh, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Are you challenging me? <laughs> I definitely did. I've never heard anyone describe the, their relationship with a Furby as love. It was, um, it went both ways. Mm. And I loved having a little buddy that I could pet. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I didn't have to clean it up its shit. That was a big part of it. And I chose to. I didn't have to. I chose to <laughs> clean up. Uh, we had a chinchilla that I confused for a Furby. But yeah, Um I don't know. I really like those dogs that they uh, designed for. Um, those are uh, robot dogs. Yeah, for like people who are older. You know, well, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right phrase. Uh, you know, older people, not service. People I who guess need service assistance. Dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah assistance animals. So, um, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's cute. I don't think it could replace uh, a living dog or a right. living pet, but uh, yeah, I think there's definitely great uses for them. I think what's interesting is I I certainly have this great discomfort with the idea of creating a robot equivalent to a dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you think about our evolutionary history with dogs, we've basically programmed dogs to be uh, sort of a not an artificial intelligence, but a natural intelligence that we have. Uh, perfectly shaped to be our companion animals. Right. Um, also aesthetically speaking, too, by breeding yes. them and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Making their eyeballs pop out of their skulls for cuteness. It's so cute. So adorable. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it is very interesting because their social intelligence is, is much greater than um, we've even previously imagined. They're, like we talked about earlier, they're really clever and they ex- excel in all of these social tasks. Um and uh, and that's all due to them co-evolving with us over such a long period of time that they can understand human social cues. They even track like our facial movements, like they focus on the our faces are kind of asymmetrical and like one mm-hmm. side of our face expresses more emotion. And they'll actually focus on that side of the face more. Oh. Um, and uh, so it's it's like they're just the perfect companion. Uh, and in fact, there's a theory that uh, humans and dogs teaming up are how Neanderthals were defeated. That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there have been a lot of theories bounced around as to why modern humans won out against Neanderthals, which is our cousin humanoid, mm-hmm. um, uh, whom we were competing with and, and sometimes Sometimes Boinkin too. There's yeah, we why still not? we've still got Neanderthal DNA. Yeah. Um but we have ex- needs. But extinction also means just sort of like having they're gone as a distinct species, even though we still have some of their DNA. Um but uh one theory is that uh dogs uh just made humans so much better uh that it beat out uh, the Neanderthal competition. So there's this book by anthropology professor Pat Shipman. Uh, It's called The Invaders. And the book, she argues that dogs and humans drove Neanderthals to extinction. 
Uh, she proposes that there's evidence that the appearance of the first domesticated wolf dogs coincided with the downfall of Neanderthals and that the uh, human dog partnership in terms of hunting gave them such a huge advantage that they cornered the market on large prey animals uh, during a time when climate change made food a scarcity. So uh, that's sort of like the, the Ice Age era where, you know, you're struggling to both, you know, get food that mm-hmm. the dogs presented such a clear clear uh advantage yeah we could hunt larger prey animals it's almost like i don't want to take the cuteness out of this because that's i mean it's all i'm interested in but like how cute it is that humans could defeat the andrethals with dogs (laughs) but uh it's almost like having a a more advanced tool kit than neanderthals you know like take take out the fact that it's an adorable dog or a you know a heinous wolf either both is cute it's like oh no i have a better weapon to hunt with and if you think about it, I mean, the dogs also now domesticated dogs outnumber wolf populations. Mm-hmm. So um, the you have these two predators, two social predators, humans and wolves, uh, and then they're teaming up to form like a super a super alliance, <laughs> a super alliance of evil doom. Um, and then they both uh, ended up doing a lot better. Then they're like now in modern modern society. I mean, domesticated dogs aren't going anywhere. They're Mm-mm. incredibly successful compared to um, a lot of uh, the like the wolf populations, which are often really in danger of uh, being pushed out of their habitat. Um, and so that that's so interesting to me that you have these two these two incredibly adept predators just teaming up uh, to. Uh, just wreak a bunch of death and destruction and it's so cute it's adorable it's adorable yeah because they're buddies they're buddies they're best friends just killing and murdering things and taking out those idiots with their (laughs) weird big heads (laughs) those neanderthals like they've got like a pet rock and it's like why don't you help me hunt me almost help me (laughs) (laughs) is it because i haven't drawn a face on you yet (laughs) just like with this rock like like go sick (laughs) them oh you're useless I'm useless. <laughs> I'm so hungry. <laughs> the rock just frowns. Yeah. Um, so when you think of man's best friend, we always think of dogs. Uh, but what what are your opinions on head lice? Head lice? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a child, um, I had a trouble with um, this bully would keep stealing my hat. And I as, see. As far as bully problems go, not that big of a deal. Right. But I wanted my hat. I liked it. And my mom gave me this advice that uh, you should tell the bully that you have head lice. Mm-hmm. And he did uh, stop stealing my hat, but then I was the lice kid oh, for a year. Oh, lice boy. Yeah, I was lice boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think I just shook that nickname, I believe, three years ago. Okay. Um, but so I don't recommend <laughs> nice that. Nice going, lice boy. Oh, it's back. No, no. <laughs> edit that out. Um, for the love of fucking God, edit that Don't out. you do it. Don't you do it. This is my podcast. It stays in. You uh, are now lice boy. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Well, as Lice Boy, um, I, uh, you know, not to shake my brand, but yeah, I uh, like on planes and stuff, I used to worry about, you know, I put on a hood or something so I right. couldn't get lice from the headrest, which I don't believe works, but I yeah. believe it could still get through uh, porous fabric. That's not typically how it uh, 
I, I don't think you can get it from a headrest very easily. Yeah, good. Um, we don't see the planes that I drive. It's Spirit, Spirit <laughs> Airlines. Just teeming with lice. Yeah. Well, take take uh, some solace in this lice, mm-hmm. boy. Um, <laughs> head lice. The most depressing <laughs> sentence that's ever been said. <laughs> take solace in this lice, boy. Uh, so head lice ha- may have originally been a boon for humans. Uh, they may have been a mutualistic symbiote rather than a parasite. Um, so an article published in the Journal of Parasitology, of which I am subscribed to, uh, yeah. <laughs> by Rosa and all, argue that uh, – I'm sorry I said and all. It's actually et all. <laughs> That's totally fine. <laughs> uh, so uh, they argue that since lice is transmitted mostly through head touching, which is a symbol of affection amongst humans, there may be a benefit to getting lice. Um So they argue that getting lice at an early age prompts an immune response effective against both head lice and body lice. Mm -hmm. And while head lice is kind of a nuisance, body lice really presents the more dangerous uh, symptoms. So body louse-borne lethal diseases include epidemic typhus, trench fever, relapsing fever, and, you know, classic plagues. Um, So The problem with relapsing fever, it just keeps coming back. (laughs) (laughs) You think it's over and it just keeps... I'm not as into classical play. I'm mm. more into like progressive playing. Right. That's what people say about you. Yeah. It's good <laughs> to hear it from your mouth, though. Um, here's a quote from the uh, paper. Uh, Thus, the human touching heads behavior probably acts as an, an inherent and unconscious vaccination against body lice to reduce the threat exposed by the pathogens they may transmit. So they're proposing that we love rubbing heads, which honestly, I mean, this is an interesting paper, but I don't rub heads with people I like no. that much. It's usually a violent right. showstopper at a bar. Right. The when rubbing two heads, heads collide. Yeah. <laughs> that's not that's not really a, a pickup thing that I've personally tried to employ, although, you mm-hmm. know, you never know. No, you don't know how yeah. I don't know how <laughs> I would respond to that personally. Um, but yeah, so you know, I, I, I suppose it makes sense though, because you do you press your heads together, I guess, like or or touch foreheads. I'm not Maybe yeah. I'm just not a people person because I, I don't. You're do... missing out. It's 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 everywhere. <laughs> but I mean, it is true that like you catch lice from your um, you can catch lice from friends and family because of close contact. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is that because we have evolved these social behaviors of like head touching, um, that then possibly because lice also maybe offer this benefit of uh, an immune response to body lice, uh, then that this is a beneficial kind of self-vaccinating behavior. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Cool. Could be. I'll take it. That's a positive spin. Sure. Positive spin on your Lice Boy brand. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. Speaking of Lice mm-hmm. Boy. <laughs> um, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> how, are, how are you doing? I've been, um, I was better before that. So, uh, like, it's we have hands in shampoo, but mm. how, how does... How does the noble capybara deal with uh, parasites and and other insects that trouble it? It's a great. Uh, it is a rod. Capybara is a rodent, correct? They're, yes, they're big. Is it the largest rodent? One of the largest, I believe. Yeah. I believe I met a capybara recently. Did you? Um, at there's this great animal preserve uh, north of LA called Animal Tracks, and if you haven't been, I think you would maybe love it. But uh, yeah, I believe they had. Like a like a capybara there, 
Wait, so this is this isn't the LA Zoo or the San Diego Zoo? No, neither. It's a an an like an independent animal preserve where basically oh, cool. it's all like uh, assholes who try to have er- uh, I almost said erotic pets, and I guess <laughs> that's pets. in the eye of the beholder. Uh, exotic pets. Uh, they figure out that they can't have them, so this preserve, erotic pets is a different website. Exotic pet, yeah, erotic pets is something completely. There is probably a that's the a cats resource movie. For that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'll come. We'll come to back back to the cats movie at the end here. But, oh my god! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. They are the. Uh, I think they are actually the largest uh, rodent. Mm-hmm. Um, they're related to guinea pigs. Uh, yeah. And uh, so they're found in South America, and they team up with a small, cute bird called the cattle tyrant. Um, <laughs> so I'm showing you a picture of a cattle tyrant riding uh, uh, majestically on top of a capybara's head. That'll kick um, the shit out of a steer <laughs> for sure. Um, it's it's such a cute. It just like looks like sort of like Daenerys on a dragon, except it's a bird on a capybara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But other than that, exactly, uh, the, exactly the same. the same. So they have a unique friendship where the uh, capybara just by capybaring around. Uh, well, uh, as they will, as they will, will rustle up insects in the grass, uh, which the cattle tyrant bird uh, will swoop in on and eat. Um, so this is a relatively small bird, uh, and it's and it's pretty cute. So it's like it's going to be harder for the bird to just kind of like get a bunch of ins. Like its presence is not enough to mm-hmm. scare a bunch of uh, insects. Despite into- being a tyrant, right? right. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a small it's a small and ineffectual tyrant, uh, as they often are. Yeah, really. but uh, <laughs> in, in, on the inside, they all are right. Got a real Napoleon complex, these guys. <laughs> um, so basically, just like rides these capybaras to victory, which is pretty cute. That's really cool. Um, and then the capybaras, uh, in return, get uh, some protection from pests. So the cattle tyrant bird will chase and eat horse flies that try to land on the capybara. Mm. So it's like having your own personal bodyguard yeah um who just likes to eat the things that it's guarding you from i love it (laughs) so we like to visit a magical place called imagination station on this podcast and so for this last example of teamwork i want you to imagine you're walking deep in the rainforest where there's no sign of civilization where few if any men tread suddenly you come across a clearing a grove of small trees perfectly tended to with not a single weed in sight. And as you pass through this clearing, you feel a thousand hostile eyes upon you. Do you sense the presence of demons? Mm-hmm. Do you think this is the work of the devil? Mm-hmm. Well, you have just entered a devil's garden. Oh. Uh, and so devil's gardens are a very real thing. Uh, they're in the Amazon rainforests. Uh, and... They are entirely curated to be made up of a single plant, a tree called uh, Duroya hirsuta. Mm. Um, so local legend has it that these are tended to by evil spirits. Um, and it's it's very mysterious because, you know, these are they're they look like sort of well tended to groves, but no, no one's taking natural. responsible right. for it. Yeah, no one's like going like, oh, yeah, that's me. I, I like to go out and plant a bunch of trees. It's my thing. <laughs> I like to do that. Well, when they say it's evil spirits, they're close. It's ants. Ooh. So lemon ants, to be specific, uh, these ants are, uh, they'll actually produce their own herbicide, uh, which is a formic acid. Um, and they use that to poison all other plants in the area. 
uh, including weeds and sampling, saplings of other trees. So they'll actually inject the acid into these other plants and it kills them off within 24 hours. Interesting. Um, so this is so that their host species of tree will survive. So the Duroya hirsuta offers them a shelter and a stable place for the colony to live. And in return, the ants become the gardeners uh, to these devil's gardens. Interesting. They're the devils. Yes. I love how uh, like people's response to this is like, well-tended to trees. This is the work of a devil. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's <laughs> the work of a saint. Who's doing this? This is great. They need to be hired. <laughs> um, so to end the show, um, I want to talk about the Cats trailer. Yeah. Just, I don't... I don't have anything because, like, I sometimes I like to debunk movies and stuff like mm-hmm. Lanking. I don't know how you debunk humans prancing around as t- tiny humans prancing around as cats. Yeah, with like boobs, like one someone on Twitter. There are noticeable boobs. Like the boobs right. are maybe the most disconcerting thing. Right, and someone pointed out thing. on Twitter, like the 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 boobs like don't have nipples, so. No, they're purposeless. There's no need. Right. Which, yeah, I'm, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but like, there's the, the boobs serve no purpose, like, in terms of, like, there's no need to gender these cats. Right. Or, you know, like, just show well, off any body no, part. Well, they clearly don't have genitals, because, like, if the male, because right. the male cats are completely naked with mm-hmm. their crotches, like, flinging around. And if we could see their actual crotches, what and we I've would looked. see is a spiky cat penis. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know what's up with that? Thank you. Right? Yeah. Like with all those with all those hip gyrations, you think that's not going to jostle loose a spiky it's, cat penis? The, the fur will uh, move a jar, right. and there will be a view. Right. Like I know that cats do have penis sheaths, but that's like enough of those like you know grand jetés that they're doing. Mm-hmm. That penis is going to flop out. His name's the Rum Tum Tugger for Christ's sake! <laughs> like it's going to fucking come out. <laughs> oh God! You, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, why are they so why are they so small and human? Why did you have to do that to us? Mm-hmm. Why did you do that to us? I have a theory. Yes, I think who's the guy? Who's the guy who's directing this? Uh, uh, just I don't know, some sick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's you know Andrew Lloyd Webber's. Oh, it's it's directed by Tom Hooper. I think they've been infected with T. Gondii. Um, so, uh, what is that? Toxoplasma gondii or gondii is a unicellular parasite that infects rats uh, and makes them unafraid of cats, uh, screws up with their brain chemistry, causes lesions in the brain that makes them, instead of being scared of cats, it, it confuses them and makes them fall in love with cats. And have a uh, sometimes sexual attraction to cats. Insane. Yeah, and they'll actually be sexually attracted to cat urine. So we've talked about this on the show before. It's a it's a favorite of the show. But uh, I I think Tom Hooper handled to because humans can actually be infected with the toxoplasmosis. Oh my god! You typically have nothing to worry about unless you're pregnant or you are a movie producer. Apparently, yeah. Because I think Tom Hooper. Uh, I'm going on the record. I'm saying he's got toxoplasmosis and he has some kind of unhealthy attraction to cats. Mm-hmm. It's the only explanation. How else could this have been made? How else do you have a bunch of human-like undulating cats? It'd be worse if he didn't want to fuck the cats. Right. It would be like, then what Why? is this choice? Because right. at least that's an explanation. Right, right. Why are they so tiny? 
like can like I, I was talking about this on Twitter too but just imagine one of these cats like like if all the house cats were suddenly replaced with cats movie cats and just one of them just kind of starts like jauntily walking or strolling across mm-hmm. like very tiny but only comes up to your, your shins and just like strolling around jumping cutting capers and going like meow meow starts oh, licking rhythmic. its starts licking its anus just Doing regular cat behaviors, but it's one right. of these little horrible tiny cat humans. I, ugh. 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 No thanks. I don't. I don't. Un- I don't. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, luckily that'll be the last movie he made. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for joining me today on this wonderful adventure through nature. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, Don't just, say cats. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> th- that director has that covered. Um, just at Blake Wexler on everything. Um, and then, yeah, I, I love this podcast. It's funny. It's weird to discover a podcast that you like by being on it yourself. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. a weird way. But yeah, That's it's how I get all of my listeners. Oh, okay, good, good. Well, I'm glad to join them. Um, yeah, you can find uh, us on creaturefeaturepod.com. Uh, at Instagram at Creature Feature Pod, on Twitter at Creature Feet Pod. It's not feet as an F E E T, it's F E A T. Feet Pod is a different podcast. Um, <laughs> and you can find me at Katie Golden and at Pro Bird Rights, where I am a bird sometimes. It's just my choice. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to help me out, gently press that subscribe button maybe leave a rating or a review if you'd like or just whisper to the trees that you are one with nature and that maybe they should check out my cool fun podcast see you next wednesday and thanks to the space cossacks for their awesome song exolumina i'm tamika d mallory and it's your boy my son the general and we are your hosts of tmi And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.